It is so great to be here. Welcome to everybody at all of the campuses. If you were not here last week, you're going, whoa, 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 that is not Paul Smith. I understand that. This is a younger, better looking version of Paul Smith. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't know where he is. I hope he didn't hear that. Don't tell him. Don't tell him. No, it's great to be here. If I haven't met you, my name's Matt, and uh, I am from Murray, Kentucky, and I've been a friend of Paul's and been tracking what's been going on here at this church and learned a lot from you guys. And last week, we began this series, Breakthrough, if you weren't with us. All we're wanting to do today and over the next four weeks is start a conversation around what I think is a really important question to ask. And the reason I think it's important is because this is a question that all of us deal with. This is a question that doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus or not. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. We all feel the impact of this question. We all have to navigate this in our own way. The question is simply this. What do you do when your dreams don't come true? What do you do when your dreams don't come true? Maybe your dreams, we've been here, right? Maybe your dreams haven't come true, or maybe they're starting to fall apart because of choices you have made. We've all been there. Maybe your dreams aren't coming true because of the choices some other people have made, and they have impacted your dreams. Uh, maybe your dreams are not coming true just because of things that happen in life. But what do you do when you find yourself in a situation where you realize, wait a minute, I don't think my parents are ever going to get back together, and I don't think family's ever going to look like what I hoped it would look, and I don't think... Uh, Christmas is ever going to be the same. I don't think birthdays are going to ever be the same. What do you do when you realize that's just probably never going to happen anymore? What do you do when you realize it's your marriage that's never going to be what you dreamt marriage would be? And maybe, you know, you're at a point where you've been divorced or you're considering divorce or maybe you're just in a situation where you're like, I'm not going to leave, but it's just, it's just not what I thought it would be and I don't see how it'll ever get there. What do you do when you're in the middle of those moments? Or what do you do when it's the opposite and you're not married and you always thought by this stage of your life you would be married? How do you deal with that? Because you hadn't even planned for how to deal with this stage of life not being married. You just assumed you would be at this stage. What do you do when your dream to have biological children is closed? The doctor looks at you and says, it's just not going to happen. There's nothing more we can do. What do you do when that adoption you thought was going to go through doesn't go through? What do you do when that career that you thought was going to work out doesn't work out or it never even gets started? What do you do? And this one's so hard, and a lot of us know people who've gone through this, and maybe you unfortunately have had to deal with this what do you do when you're the one who's lost a child it's so painful isn't it what do you do you never dream you'll be in that situation you never dream you know you'll have to navigate all of those emotions so what do you do when you're in those moments where your dreams don't come true maybe they're huge for you and the disappointment the despair and the discouragement is just rocking your world maybe to other people on the outside looking in, it doesn't seem like a big deal. It seems fairly small, but to you, it's a big deal. To me, it's a big deal whenever it's us, right? I mean, what do you do in those things you hope for, you wish for, those things that meant the world to you don't happen? I'm telling you, your response and my response in the middle of those situations, they become defining moments for us. Because your choice in the middle of a broken dream is going to take you one of two directions. Broken dreams can often derail things. They derail our confidence in ourself. They derail relationships. We've all seen that. When you're in the middle of a broken dream, boy, it, it puts such a strain on the relationships with the people around you, the people you care about. Maybe most of all, most difficult of all, broken dreams derail our confidence in God. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we don't want to admit this. None of us like to voice this out loud, but I'll voice it for us because we all think it. When you're in the middle of a broken dream, your world gets turned upside down and everything starts to fall apart. Isn't there something in you that goes, wait a minute, God, if you were here and if you really cared, then why didn't you do something about that? Because you could have. 
I mean, why didn't you make sure we could have kids? Why didn't, you, why didn't you make sure that our parents stayed together? Why didn't you make sure that our family was what we wanted our family to be? Why didn't you make sure this marriage turned out? Why didn't you fix that career thing? Why didn't you, why didn't you, why didn't you? Because good grief, you can. And I, I come to church and I hear that you love me and you care about me and you're for me, but it sure doesn't seem that way right now. As a matter of fact, it appears as if there's no evidence whatsoever of God's presence or activity in your life when you're in the middle of a broken dream. And your response in that moment... Your choice in those moments, they become defining moments for you. I'm telling you, they'll take you in one of two directions. And that's what I want us to dig into a little bit more today. There's not a better example of this, I don't think, from Scripture than the life of King David. Now, if you don't know a lot about David, you think, good grief, what does he know about broken dreams? But David's life, when you start to read it, it was a series of broken dreams. At 15, he was given the dream by a prophet, you're going to become a king one day. God's already chosen you to be the king of Israel. And David, on the front end, did a lot of things right. He didn't try to manipulate or orchestrate or control outcomes. He just kept following God, doing the next right thing, doing things to the best of his ability. And God kept opening door after door after door. And God places him right where he needs to be to be able to fight and defeat Goliath. And suddenly his popularity soars in the land. And then God ends up putting him in Saul's family, King Saul's family, the current king. And he's a son-in-law to the king. He marries Saul's daughter, Michael. Everything seems to be going great. Until... Saul becomes so jealous of David, and Saul becomes so threatened by his popularity and his power that he makes multiple attempts on his life. And we talked about this a little bit last week, and we walked through some of this story, where David eventually gets to the point, can you imagine, where he's in the palace. Like he, he feels like this dream, it's definitely going to come true. And then in a moment, he loses it all. And in the middle of the night, he decides, I've got to flee, I've got to run for my life, or Saul's going to kill me. And so he takes off, and the only plan he can come up with is to flee the country entirely. And on the way, we talked about this last week, he stops at this little town called Nob. It was where the priest of the tabernacle lived. There were 85 priests and their families that all lived there, and the, the head priest was named Ahimelech. And he goes to Ahimelech, and he doesn't want to tell Ahimelech what's really going on because Ahimelech serves Saul, so he makes up a story, and he tells one lie after another to get the things that he needs. And what David needed was food, and he needed a weapon. And he got some bread... And then ironically enough, he's given Goliath's sword, the sword that he used to chop off Goliath's head. And yet David doesn't pause to reflect on what that might mean. David doesn't pause to think, wait a minute, I'm here trying to provide for myself. I'm here trying to orchestrate and manipulate these outcomes. I'm here thinking I am solely responsible for my own protection. Wait a minute, God protected me against Goliath. He'll protect me now. But none of that crosses his mind because fear has a way of paralyzing our faith, doesn't it? And that's exactly what it did for David. It absolutely paralyzed him. Fear started driving all the different decisions that he made. So he lied to Ahimelech, and he got assistance. And then he takes off, and he heads on to flee the country. And what he doesn't find out until later is that Saul had a chief shepherd there in the town who saw David. And he goes back and he tells Saul. And Saul takes his arm, and he shows up back in Nob. And Saul, being the kind of man he was at that point, literally slaughters Ahimelech and all the priests and all their families. Eighty-five families lose their lives that day for nothing they did on their own, simply because David had made some very, very foolish choices in the middle of his broken dream. I'm telling you, your consequences, my consequences, they're not going to be that great. But there are consequences. The way you choose to respond in the middle of your difficulties, it will impact the people you love and care about the most. 
it will have an impact on the people around you. So what I want to do today is simply this. We're going to jump right back into David's story where we left off last week. Because, and this is encouraging for me, I don't know if it's encouraging for you, but I love the fact, as you're going to see, David made a lot of mistakes in the story last week. As the story continues to unfold, he keeps making mistakes. I love that because I can relate. I mean, when I'm in the middle of broken dreams, I tend to respond the wrong way before I respond the right way. That's what David does. He just, he makes a lot of mistakes. But at the end, and you're going to see at the end of the story today, at the end... He finally figures out how to respond the right way. And David teaches us two very practical steps we can take in the middle of broken dreams to make sure we come out better and we don't come out with regret. So just want to jump right back into the story. 1 Samuel chapter 21. Here's what says happened that day, the day that David got his sword and his bread and he lied to Ahimelech, the priest at Nob. That day, David fled from Saul and he went to Ashish, king of Gath. Now, Ashish isn't the name of the king. Ashish was a term for royalty that the Philistines used. It's like the Egyptians call their king's pharaohs. The, the actual king's name was Abimelech. And Gath was actually a collection of five different Philistine provinces or Philistine territories. Okay? Was, they were about 24 miles from Nob. They were just across the border to Israel. Now think about this for a second. David. David's the general of the Israelite army. David's one of the most powerful men in the land. And David decides that the smartest thing he could do, here's the plan he came up with, the smartest thing he could do to escape Saul was to run right into the hands of his enemies and try to live with them. He decides, I'm going to show up to the king of Gath, who's our mortal enemy, and I'm going to offer my services to him. That's my plan. You wonder how this guy ever became king, don't you? I mean, doesn't make a lot of sense. But the reality is you and I have done the same thing. Because when you are in the middle of a broken dream, when fear is driving your decisions, when you feel like, when I feel like we got to manipulate and we got control and well, God's not here and God's not active, that's how David felt. I mean, if God was active, then I wouldn't be fleeing. If God was active and this dream was going to come true, then I wouldn't be on the run. So David assumed God had abandoned him. When you and I assume God is not there and God is not active, we will do some really dumb things in, order, in our attempt to try to take control and manipulate or orchestrate outcomes. If you think back over the course of your life, you could probably tell some stories like I could. Of a contract you signed, you would have never signed it under normal circumstances. But because of everything going on, you were trying to control things and you were trying to fix things, you signed a contract that later on you thought, what was I thinking? A loan that you took out that you would have never normally taken out. You knew it wasn't smart, you did it anyway. A situation where you moved and you should have stayed. But again, it was just fear. Fear has a way of paralyzing us, doesn't it? It was like, I got to move, I got to move, I got to move. Or you stayed and you should have gone. You moved in when you should have never moved in. You moved out when you should have never moved out. You disengaged in your relationship with God. You disengaged from the relationships at church and in your small group. And maybe it wasn't blatant. It wasn't like I'm walking away from church. But you just disengaged. You just leaned away. Because you believed, this is what fear will do to us. You believed in the middle of your difficulty. That if it's going to be, it's up to me. That I don't know where God is, but clearly he's not active and he's not working on this. So I've got to take it into my own hands and I've got to control or orchestrate the outcome that I want. That's what David's doing. David's coming up with a plan. And to him, the best plan is to run straight to his enemy and offer his services. 
The problem is when he gets there, everybody knows who he is. Here's what happens when he walks into the palace of Abimelech, the king of Gath. The story says, but the servants of Ashish said to him, said to the king, isn't this David the king of the land? Now, he wasn't the king of Israel, but this is how revered he was by the Philistines. They knew he had so much power and popularity in Israel, he might as well be the king. And then it gets worse for David. These servants say, isn't he the one they sing about in their dances there in Israel? They sing, Saul is slain as thousands and David is tens of thousands. They're talking about this song that after David killed Goliath and he marched back into the city with the army. All these women were lying in the streets and they were singing, Saul slain as thousands and David is tens of thousands. Here's the problem. The tens of thousands they were referring to were Philistines. And not only were they Philistines, they were Philistines from Gath. Guess whose, guess whose hometown was Gath? This little fella named Goliath. Now think about this for a second. How dumb do you have to be to think your best option is to march right into the territory of the man that you are most famous for killing, whose family all still lives there, whose friends all still live there, and say, hey, I'd just like to hang out with you guys for a while. How dumb can you be? But I'm telling you, we have all done this, haven't we? This is what fear will cause you to do. This is what anger will cause you to do. This is what bitterness and resentment will cause you to do. When you're in the middle of a broken dream and you assume God is not with you or he is not active and he is not going to help you anymore, I'm telling you, you will make some very unwise decisions, but you'll convince yourself that it's a smart move until you realize it's not. And as David's standing there in the palace of the king of Gath and he hears all this, he thinks, oh no, oh no. How did I ever think this was going to work? The story goes on. It says, David took these words to heart, and he was very much afraid of Ashish, king of Gath. I bet he was. David's standing there going, what am I going to do now? Again, here, here's what's fascinating about this. David, in that moment, could have said, I think this is the point where I should fall on my knees and ask God to please help. But he doesn't do that. Because David is still trying to control outcomes. Can you relate to this? David still thinks he has the ability to manipulate how this is going to turn out. So David comes up with a plan of his own. See how you would grade this one out. Here's what he did. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. Oh, that'll work, David. Yeah, because... What they definitely want is to let a crazy man live with them. No, that's going to get you killed immediately. That's what that's going to do. I mean, if, if we took a vote, who would think that David had any chance of making it out of this? But this was his plan. He pretended to be insane in their presence, and while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. I'll give him this. He was fully committed. <laughs> it was a bad plan, but he, he went all in on it. I mean, you, you would read this, you would watch this if you were there and go, this is a dead man walking. There is no way they're going to let their mortal enemy walk out of here. Especially, he's acting like he's crazy. I mean, they're just going to end him right now. But this is where God's grace and mercy show up. And we have all experienced this. In spite of our stupidity, God still intervened. That's what he does for David. Nobody could have predicted what happened next. Listen to what... Abimelech said, Ashish said to his servants, look at the man. He's insane. 
Why bring him to me? And then this next statement he makes, you got to kind of read between the lines, but he, he makes a dig at all these guys. He's talking to his closest advisors, Abimelech is. He says, am I so short of madmen? As he looks around the room, you guys all act like you're nuts. I don't need another nut in the palace. That's basically what he says. Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? And miraculously... He lets the Philistines' number one enemy walk out the door. And the story tells us that David left Gath and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. Now, Adullam was an area just across the Philistine border back in Israel. And it was up in the mountains and there were a series of caves there. And I'm telling you, you could go up into those caves and you could be lost for weeks. You could go up there and nobody would find you. So imagine this. Just picture this. Here David is. And in a period of just a few days, he has gone from the palace to now he is hunkered in the back of a cave all alone. And he's nearly lost his life at Nob. He lied his way out of that. He's nearly lost his life with the Philistines. He's acted crazy, and God's delivered him out of that. And now he's back in a cave all by himself. But it was the very best thing that happened to him. Because when he sat in the back of this cave at Adullam all alone, he started to reflect. And he paused to remember. And he slowed down enough to listen. It was the first time in this story that David says, you know what? I think I should maybe take my hands off of this. Maybe I shouldn't try to control this and fix this broken dream myself. Maybe it's not my job to come up with a solution to this problem and instead he listens and sitting in a cave all by himself David comes to two extraordinary breakthroughs now here's what's fascinating to me you may not find this interesting it just fascinates me to no end 2900 years ago David is sitting in a cave and as he has these breakthroughs he writes his thoughts down and we still have them today now, whether you believe in the Bible or not, it is just fascinating to think that we can read the thoughts of a man who lived 2,900 years ago when he was in the middle of a broken dream. Sitting there in the cave of Adullam, he writes some psalms. One of them we know is Psalm 34. And I want to read you part of what he wrote. And then I want to give you these two breakthroughs. That if you're in the middle of a broken dream, here are the two steps that you need the clarity and the courage to take. If you want to break through when you don't know what to do. Here's what David wrote. He said, he begins, I will extol. Extol just means to praise something or someone highly. I will extol the Lord at all times. To which we would go if we were in that cave with him. Whoa, whoa, you, you don't really mean that, do you? You have gone from the palace to the back of a cave like that. You've gone from all this power and all this popularity to now you're on the run for your life. And Saul's probably not going to lose, David. He's got all the resources. He's got all the army. He's eventually going to hunt you down. The odds are you're going to die, David, at the hands of King Saul. And you're telling me you're going to sit here in a cave all alone, and you want to praise God in the middle of this? To which David would say, yeah, I want to praise God, because here's what I've discovered. I've finally realized that I've got to shift my focus and my attention from all these problems to my Heavenly Father. And by shifting his focus and his attention, 
his perspective changed. His circumstances don't change, but as you're going to see, his perspective changed entirely. So he says, here's one of the choices I'm making. It doesn't matter what's going on in my world. It doesn't matter if I think God's at work or I can't see him at work. I'm just going to value and I'm going to honor my heavenly father. No matter what's going on in my world. He keeps writing. He says, his praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. I'm not going to hold on to this dream and value it more than God anymore. Nope. I'm going to value him most. And then he says, let the afflicted hear and rejoice because I'm realizing I'm not the only one going through a broken dream. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. See, we touched on this last week. Sitting in a cave all alone, it finally dawns on David. Oh my goodness, part of my problem is I have not had the right voices around me. And I'm not ever going to make that mistake again. I'm not ever going to reach a point again where I don't have some other people who are there who are going to tell me what I need to hear in the middle of a broken dream. I need some people who are going to remind me, whoa, David, you said you would always and you said you would never. And you said it didn't matter what happened, you were going to trust God and follow him, but you're not acting in a way right now like you're trusting God and following. No, 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 David, this is not how a person would act if they were confident God was with them. This is not, a person wouldn't show up at Nob and just lie to the priest and try to manipulate to get what they need. They would trust God to provide. A person wouldn't show up at their enemy's doorstep and think they were safer with them than they were by listening to what God had to say to them. These are the voices David needed around him, and he realizes sitting in the cave, and he decides, I'm, I'm never going to get caught in the middle of a broken dream without the right voices around me. Now, here's my question for you. If you experience a broken dream in the next three months, do you have the right voices around you who are going to tell you what you really need to hear? This is why all of your campus pastors are encouraging you to get in summer groups. This is your last week. You should get in a summer group because you can't predict what's going to happen over the next three months, but you can prepare for it. You may end up in the middle of a broken dream or a difficulty or a disappointment. And if you have not put the right voices in your life, you're going to suffer for it. Because you need that kind of guidance and wisdom. You need that kind of encouragement. And some of us, we just need that kind of challenge to do the right thing even though it's hard. To believe the right thing even though it's tough. David decides, I'm, I'm not ever going to miss this again. I'm going to make sure I'm always surrounded by these kinds of people. He goes on, he keeps writing about these choices. It's like he's preaching himself a sermon in the middle of this cave. He says, I sought the Lord. It took me standing in front of the king of Gath with my life on the line to realize this is the choice I should make. But I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. And then David says this, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Now this is so interesting to me. Come on, if we're sitting in that cave, let's be honest, we would look at David and say, are you kidding me? You are covered in shame right now. You have lost everything, and you're a fugitive and an outlaw in your own country. Are you kidding me? What are you saying? Your face is never covered in shame. But Here's what David realized. David realized that even when God seemed absent, that he wasn't. I think this is the moment David realized. Even when I rebelled and resisted and ran, God never left me. He was with me at Nob. He was with me at Gath. In the middle of all my mistakes, of all my sin, of all my rebellion, he didn't abandon me. 
And he's never going to abandon me. And he's never going to abandon you. Which is why David realized, oh my goodness, if I, if I will just turn to him and trust him, I don't have to worry about anything. He'll guide me through whatever happens. It's why this next statement that I want to read to you, David wrote, why I think it's so powerful. This one sentence, I'm telling you, for some of you, this is why you're here today. For some of you, you need to take this one sentence and you need to write it on a card and you need to put it in your car, you need to put it on the mirror in your bathroom, you need to stick it you know, on your office desk, wherever it is. You need to put it somewhere where you're going to see it. Some of you need to memorize this because you are in the middle of a situation right now where you find this so hard to believe. It doesn't seem true to you. But David would tell you, even though it doesn't feel like it, this is so, so true. You can't let go of this truth. Look at what he writes next. He says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, to which some of you are brokenhearted. And you would say, no, he's not. Because I am praying and I am looking and I can't find evidence of him anywhere. David says, I know, I get it, I get it. But here's what I've discovered. Sitting in this cave, I have discovered he's with me all along. He's close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Which means he's at work even when you can't see him at work. See, this is what I've discovered in my life. It's in the moments when God doesn't make sense that he's often doing his greatest work in us. See, I think what David realized sitting there in that cave was this, that God is often most active when he seems most absent. God is often most active in your life and in your world when he seems most absent to you. To which you go, no, 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 Matt, you don't understand. See, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, and there's no evidence of God's presence or activity right now. And if I could tell you my story, this is what you're thinking, if I could just tell you my story, Matt, you'd understand and you'd relate and you'd think God had abandoned me too. I get that. But I'm just telling you, I've learned from experience that God often does his best work in the darkest moments. And that he is often most active in the times when you can't see his activity at all. Which is why it is so, so important to respond the right way, to cooperate with him, and to trust that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. To which we go, yeah, but if God loves us and cares about us that much, why is he letting it happen to begin with? Well, David says, I'll tell you why he's letting it happen. Here, here's the conclusion David came to about why he was going through everything he was going through. He says the righteous person, you know who a righteous person is? Somebody who's living right. Somebody who's following God. Somebody who's trusting God. Somebody who's doing all the right things. David says, here's my conclusion. The righteous person may have many troubles. Translation, living right doesn't protect you from broken dreams. Living right doesn't protect you from pain. Because you live in a broken world. That's why you have broken dreams. I know it's not emotionally satisfying, but it's true. We experience all the difficulties we experience because we live in a broken world. It doesn't, it's not because God's abandoned us. It's not because he's angry with us. It's just because of the world we live in. But David said, here's what I know. You may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. The Lord delivers him through them all. The Lord's never going to abandon you in the middle of that. So here's the question that I want to ask you. 
And if you're in the middle of a broken dream right now, or if you're still carrying the hurt or the bitterness, the pain or the discouragement or the despair of a broken dream in your past, this is a tough question, and I get that, but it is so important. You've got to ask yourself, well, I believe God is with me even when there's no evidence of his presence or his activity. This is your decision. Well, I believe God is with me even though there's no pre evidence of his presence or activity. You've got to decide. And I know what you're thinking if you're in the middle of this because I'm with you. I, I live in the same world you do. You're thinking, no, no, no. You don't get it. I, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And we did all the right things and we were showing up at church and we were serving. We were in a group and we were living the right way. And we, on and on and on. You got all this stuff you're going on. And you're saying, there, there is no evidence. He is not there. He could have and he did not. He left me. And I'm just telling you. You haven't seen the whole story yet. God is often most active when he seems most absent, but the only way you will come to discover that is to trust him and to cooperate with him. That's what faith looks like in the middle of a broken dream. So, okay, well, how do you do that, Matt? Here's what I want to do. I want to give you two steps as we walk out of here today. And I hope these two steps are going to provide some clarity. These two steps take a lot of courage to do when you're in a broken dream. But these are the two things that as David sat in a cave, he finally figured out. Here they are. This is what it looks like to believe, even when there's no evidence. You let go, and you lean in. I don't, I don't think there's any evidence of God's presence or activity, Matt. That's okay. Here's what you do. You let go, and you lean in. To believe doesn't just mean, well, okay, I'll think it, and I'll, I'll try. No, no, you act. You act by letting go, and you act by leaning in. Now, what does that mean? Well, you've got to let go of a couple of things. One of the things you have to let go of, this is so hard. You have to let go of your belief that you deserve for God to give you the dream he's not giving you. In other words, you have to let go of your belief that God owes you that dream. And you might not be confident enough to say that out loud, but if you're honest, you think it. Well, yeah, God owes me that. He owes me that because of how I've lived. He owes me that because of what I've done. No, no, no. He doesn't owe you anything. He sent his son to die on a cross for your sins. He owes you nothing at all. But you've got to be willing to let go of this idea. And I understand why you feel that way, but you've got to let go of this idea that, no, this dream right here, this is a good thing. Like, why wouldn't God give it to me? I deserve it. No. You don't. I'll tell you where this became so personal for my wife and I. When we were pregnant with our son, James, with our second child, uh, we went to the doctor for the very first visit, and the doctor looked at us, and because of some health issues that Jen had and we already knew about, uh, we discovered some things with that pregnancy, and we walked out of that very first visit with her telling us, you need to be prepared, you're probably going to lose your son. So we walked out, and as we started to navigate through this, it was so interesting because we would share this with some people, and people would say to us things like, oh, no, 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 God's going to do a miracle for you. You're going you're to have your son. He's going to be fine because look at you and look at everything you do, which just never felt right to Jen and I. And the more we talked about it, we were like, this is, this is just such the wrong mentality to have. First of all, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm any better than anybody else. And we were looking around at friends who had lost children, lost babies. We were looking around at people who'd been through 
all kinds of other devastating things. I remember we had this conversation where we said, what in the world does it say for us to say, well, yeah, we deserve for God to give us a healthy son. What does it say to them when they lost their son? What does it say to them when they went through that devastating moment? That doesn't make any sense. What, we deserve it more and God loves us more than he loves them? That makes no sense. So we made a different decision. We decided we don't deserve for our son to live. If he does, we're going to celebrate. If he doesn't, we're still going to follow. Because God's not responsible for this. This isn't him punishing us. This is just the fact that we live in a broken world. And we don't deserve for good things to happen any more than anybody else does. So we're just going to wake up every day, and at the end of every day, if we still have a son, we're going to celebrate, and we're going to trust him, and we thank, we're going to thank him. If we get to the end of the day and we don't have a son, we're going to trust him, and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to thank him. Now, that may sound ridiculous to you, but I'm telling you, here's what we learned. You have to let go of your belief you deserve the dream if you're ever going to move forward and make progress. If you don't, if you believe you deserve it, if you believe God owes you, and you can't go any further with God, and you will never be grateful to God, because all he's doing is meeting your expectations. You got to let go of that. The other thing you have to let go of is you got to let go of control. Well, that's easy for all of us. I don't even need to explain that, do I? We just breeze right by that one. Oh, yeah, 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 let go of control. I mean, good grief for some of us. We try to control everything, don't we? Let me, let me just help you out a little bit. It is a fallacy to believe you can control anything. You have zero control. If you had control, you wouldn't have a broken dream. Hello? You would have fixed that already. You know what happens when you try to control, when I try to control? What we're really doing is we're trying to play God. You make a terrible God. If you don't believe me, ask the person next to you right now. They don't want to take any orders from you. You make a terrible God. So do I. As long as you're trying to control and manipulate the outcomes of your circumstances, you're trying to play God. And you'll just make a big mess like David did. you got to let go of control. You do what you can do, but then you trust God to do what only he can do. That's what it looks like to let go. And then the other step you have to take is you got to lean in. you got to lean in. Here, here's what this looks like. When you're in the middle of a broken dream, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to run away from God or you're going to run towards God. Now, I understand the inclination to want to run away from God because he's not doing what you want him to do. Or he doesn't seem like he's present or active. I get that. Here's my question for you. What's your better option? Because if you're going to run away from God, you're going to run towards something. So what's your better option to run toward? You? Somebody else? I mean, you don't have a better option than to run to the, your heavenly father, the one who loves you and cares about you, the one who sent his son to die on a cross for you. You may not understand what he's doing or why he's doing it or why he's not doing it in your life right now, but you can't doubt the fact that he loves you. And so... Part of responding well in the middle of a broken dream is not only letting go, 
but it's choosing to lean in and not lean away. It's choosing to say, okay, okay. in spite of the fact I don't understand what's going on, in spite of the fact I don't see God at work, I'm going to lean in here and I'm going to trust my Heavenly Father. I'm going to do what anybody who is confident God is with him would do in this moment. That's what it looks like to lean in. That's what it looks like to trust. You get in the middle of that situation and you just ask yourself, okay, I don't necessarily believe this right now, but if somebody was confident God was with them, what would they do right now? And whatever the answer to that question is, you go ahead and do it. That's what it looks like to lean in. So as we close today, here's what we want to do. In just a minute, the band's going to come up and we're going to end with a song today. And the reason we want to do this is because we just want to carve out some time for you to reflect. Because let's be honest, these are not easy steps to take. If you're in the middle of a broken dream right now, or if you're carrying all this emotion from something that didn't happen and you still haven't kind of navigated through God, why didn't you let that happen? I mean, it's so hard to let go and to lean in. So we want to carve out some time in these next few minutes. And here's my encouragement to you. Would you just please be honest with God for these next couple of minutes? And tell them exactly how you feel about what's happened or happening in your life. But my prayer is you will also have the courage at the end of that to say, okay, God, in spite of the fact there seems to be no evidence of your presence or activity, I'm going to choose to believe you're most active when you seem most absent. So I'm going to let go. You don't owe me anything anymore. I'm going to stop trying to control things. And God, would you give me the courage to lean in and to do what anybody would do if they were confident that you were with them? I love the lyrics of the chorus of this song because it's such a great reminder. It says this, when everything falls apart, your arms hold me together. When everything falls apart, God, you're the only hope for this heart. When everything falls apart and my strength is gone, some of us have been there, haven't we? Well, this is when I find you mighty and strong. Listen, here's what I know. If you learn to let go and lean in in the middle of your broken dream, it is no guarantee your dream will come true. But I can promise you, you will walk out on the other side of your dream with a better you. You'll walk out on the other side of your dream, your broken dream, with a a faith that's deeper, and a relationship with your Heavenly Father is stronger. You'll walk out with a breakthrough that leads to a better future for you. And you will walk out knowing, not because some lyric and some song says it, you will walk out knowing from personal experience that God is mighty and He's strong. And even when everything falls apart, you'll learn to trust and know. You'll be confident. That he's with you, and he's for you, and he's active in your life. Let me pray for us. Father, this is so, so difficult to do. When, we're, when things are going our way and you're answering prayers, it's, it's not so hard to believe. But when we hit these moments in our lives when... We're in the middle of broken dreams. And for some, some of us here today, that's us. For, for some here today, this has felt so personal and difficult. Just talking about it brings tears to their eyes. 
God, it's so hard to let go. It's so hard to lean in in these moments. So in these next couple of minutes, would you just give us the clarity to know you're with us? Would you give us the courage to let go of this belief we have that you, you owe us something and we deserve it? We're not going to give up on the dream, but God, would you give us the courage to hold it with open hands? Would you give us the courage to do what we can do, but then stop trying to control everything and just trust you to do what you can? And most of all, would you help us to lean in, especially in those moments when everything falls apart, and do what anybody would do if they were confident you were with them, because you really, really are. And as our strength is gone, we will find you to be so faithful, so mighty, so strong. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.